Hello, and welcome back to Nature's Wonders. Today, we are joined with Eurus to discuss things all aquascaping related. This podcast is sponsored by Aquachar, Willow's Reef, and Corals Anonymous. Please sit back and enjoy the show. Thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. For inviting me. So, uh, how are you doing? Is everything good? Good. I'm safe here in Germany. For those listening to that episode in the future, 2020 has been the year of the coronavirus. Um, we are in a harsh lockdown in Germany right now. So only grocery stores and uh, pet shops are open because there you can buy food for your pets. Everything else is uh, literally close to a minimum. Uh, but we're good. We're safe. We like, you know, I don't know. I, I live my life. You know, I see the, the positive things and uh, I think the future is bright. How about you? That's, uh, yeah, we're doing good. We're just living life, getting through with everything. Same here pretty much. Um, so I guess that's good that the pet stores are open. You can get all your aquarium stuff. Keeps a lot of people busy these days. It's good mm-hmm. as well. So you are in the planted tank aquascaping aquarium side, right? And uh, how did you get started in everything? Did you start with just a normal small tank with a few goldfish like a lot of people? Or did you have like a mentor that taught you everything that you know? Short version or the long story? The medium version. Short, short. Uh, okay, let me try the um, long story short. Um, it all started like 20 years ago, or maybe a little bit more. So as a kid, I got my first um, 60 centimeter breeder and uh, apologize for everyone not familiar with the European metric system. Um, so yeah, got like my 60 centimeter tank, you know, got a lot of live breeders like guppies, uh, platies, uh, corridoras. Um, bristlenose, pleco, uh, those kind of fish. <clears throat> Basically, like a lot of people get into the hobby. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I very quickly decided that just having two, three plants randomly uh, stuck into the gravel uh, wasn't that appealing. And I, by myself, started escaping the aquarium without knowing that I was escaping. Um, I tried out uh, slate rock. I tried out grapevine um, wood uh, for terrarium supply. Everyone said, you are crazy. It's going to rot and kill your fish, but it did work. Uh, but I have to say after one year, uh, there wasn't much left of the wood because it started to become soft, I guess, underwater and the plecos, they just, I don't know, they ate it all or I don't know, um, <clears throat> grazed it away. And uh, yeah, I think one day, um, like many aquascapers, I uh, discovered the work of Takashi Amano. I can remember very well. It was uh, a printed magazine when I saw some of the pictures. It was, I think, like IPLC results. Um, must have been sometime in 2004, 2005, maybe around that time. And in one of the, those magazines, there was also the article of the private tank. Mr. Takashi Amano has escaped at his private house. I think it was a four meter aquarium uh, by 
1.5 meter by 1.5 meter and literally the house was built around that aquarium because they have a lot of earthquakes in Japan and he wanted this aquarium to withstand uh, the earthquakes which are very uh, yeah frequent and today like 15 years later the aquarium is still running and it's still the same layout uh, some of the plants have been swapped out the fish have been swapped out multiple times uh, but the layout is still the same and the aquarium is still running even thought uh, the master himself Takashi Amano is not uh, among us anymore um, but that's just on a side note so this is how I discovered aquascaping and uh, I don't know I started learning all about it um, reading those magazines uh, but the information in the magazines back then was very very little um, I have asked in the shops and the dealers that told me forget about it it must be all fake uh, they just do it uh, for two three days then they take a photo and after that it's all full of algae and you can take the tank apart but I couldn't believe uh, you know those excuses or those things the the dealers have told me or the retailers uh, I mean nowadays uh, I know they just didn't know any better so I started researching myself on the internet um, like how to you know design those things started looking on the internet for Amano and I discovered a forum um, it is called um, aquascapingworld.com forum um, and yeah, I became a member of this forum and I started reading everything. I spent days and nights reading, I think for like a few months or maybe half a year, I was reading every journal. I mean, is anyone using forums these days? <laughs> Do you use forums, Will? <laughs> uh, no, I don't remember the last time I used a forum, but I sometimes if it's something really specific and weird, then I'll use a forum. I guess, you know, the, the younger listeners, they will not know what a forum is, but uh, back then, in those old days, there was no Facebook, no Instagram, even YouTube has just started. Uh, um, so forums were the social media platform back then. Um, so yeah, I've been reading literally everything, you know, you can find just articles and forums, but you can also find journals and journals are like diaries of people where they keep track uh, like in a journal of their aquarium basically how they plan it how they set it up and what obstacles and hurdles they overcome and by reading all these uh, journals from other people I learned uh, about their mistakes I learned what works what didn't and at some point I was feeling confident uh, to start writing to start my own topic and to start my first real aquascape um, also back then my English uh, wasn't nearly, I don't want to say as good as it is today, but it was really bad. It was just, you know, something you learn in school in Germany and I haven't had a lot of practice back then. So I was using online dictionary, uh, using Google Translate uh, to even understand what the people are talking about. And yeah, I mean, from there um, it's, it's just, you know, um, one step after another so i started my first journal i started my first aquascape and by my first aquascape um i mean first time using soil something like ada amazonia like planted aquarium soil uh not the dirt from the garden like the special aquarium soil product and 
I tried Iwagumi with the dragon stones. So something, you know, really, uh, how to say, stereotype thing uh, for, I think, many beginners, you know, the dragon stone and the Glossal Stigma carpet. Uh, that was my first scape. And um, after that, you know, more and more and more and more. And I guess this is how I started with aquascaping and I couldn't stop. That's really an interesting story. So in like the United States, I feel like aquascaping is not a big part of the aquarium world here. And I guess I thought that like Eastern was a lot more into the aquascaping. So when you said that none of your retailers knew about the planted tanks, that kind of amazed me. Maybe I was just thinking more of the Asia part of the Eastern world, but that was very interesting. Clarifying here. Uh, so they have, they have been very well aware of the classic planted aquarium. You know, something like uh, the Danela system where you have your nutrient-rich base layer, uh, like deponate mix, and then you top it with inert gravel. You have a pressurized CO2 system, you have your T5 lighting, you have a liquid fertilizer, but only uh, uh, micros and potassium. Uh, nitrates and phos uh, phosphate has been, you know, something very bad at this time. Um, <clears throat> everyone tried to avoid that. Uh, so those retailers, they had no idea about aquascaping, about keeping carpeting plants, you know, arranging, doing Iwagumis and doing those things, you know. They have been into those classic tanks, maybe Dutch style. Um, that's what I've been talking about. Yeah, that's really interesting. So uh, what what's like the main thing that you find amazing or fascinating with the aquascaping so for me i would call myself a nature lover so i really you know i love everything about nature and uh, i believe in fate uh, so i don't know whatever happens in nature i try to see something positive in it and try to discover small things um i don't know just today i've been uh, in the greenhouse uh maybe we'll get to that later um and I saw a little spider, you know, just jumping from, uh, it was a little jumping spider, jumping from one plant leaf to another. And I literally spent maybe a minute or two minutes just observing it uh, because I was so fascinated by it. And uh, with the aquariums and especially with the aquascaping, it is like you have your little ecosystem in this glass box and you are responsible for it and you can make the plants and the inhabitants thrive in it and make it a beautiful, you know, like a paradise, like world. Um, and if you don't take care of it, it can be the opposite. And uh, I think, you know, this taking care of something, see things developing, uh, and it's also always changing. The aquarium never remains the same. So I think um, this is what fascinates me. Yeah, so, I mean, for me, I guess I like having the little slice of the world in my room. And once I started with the marine tanks, which is a little off topic, but it's like you have your own little ocean. So I'm pretty similar to you in that answer. I just like having the little slice of the world in your tank. What tanks do you have right now, and are, what are your plans for the future? So right now, at home, my own tanks, I have a 120 centimeter 
which is not empty, but there is hardscape inside, uh, but it's not finished. <laughs> I, it's work in progress for the past two years, and I just recently uh, made the decision to take the rocks out and uh, to put them in the dojo, which is like a sandbox uh, for aquascaping, where you can test and you know just work on things before you put them into your real aquarium and just do something different. So I'm actually, I have plans to plant and scape this tank uh, this weekend. Uh, we are uh, in the week before Christmas and like after the, you know, um, uh, after the Christmas Eve or uh, after that day, uh, I'm going to scape this thing. It will be a classic Iwagumi with the previously mentioned Glossostigma, but different type of rock. So I want it really classy and just very, very simple and minimalistic. Uh, next, I have a, I don't know, it's the Oase Highline 200. Um, and by the way, the 120 is a rimless uh, open top uh, tank. Uh, you know, this typically aquascaping clear OptiWide glass, as you would imagine it. And the Oase Highline 200 is the, I would say, classic aquarium with a dry chamber um, in the back uh, rear corner. Um, so... <clears throat> That one I started recently, uh, but uh, couldn't finish because I've been filming and then um, testing new controller, new light from Oase, and I had a couple of questions on that one, but uh, I think I will escape it very soon as well. Um, next, I have um, a small um, mini M size aquarium, uh, I guess in the US, more common is the Ultum Nature brand. And actually this tank is from Ultum Nature, from UNS, it's a 5N. And it's the first uh, Ultimate Nature Aquarium in Europe. Um, and uh, yeah, there I have a, a little layout inside, um, a little bit older than one year. And uh, fun fact, uh, the making of video of that tiny little aquarium is my most uh, watched video on YouTube. Um, what else I have? I have a 20 by 20 by 20 centimeter cube from uh, Doa, which is a brand by Aqua Design Amano. Uh, it's the Mayo Glass Air 20, it's called. Um, yeah, I have a little Iwagumi diorama style layout in it. Um, then I have a Terra Base. Uh, Terra Base is more a terrarium uh, style um, creation, I would say. Uh, so you have a ceramic uh, cylinder uh, which is sealed at the bottom. Uh, you can fill it with water and uh, this ceramic um, slowly lets the moisture from the inside uh, go to the outside. So if you attach um, epiphyte uh, plants uh, to the outside of the terra base, it will, um, they will survive. They take the moisture from the inside uh, of that cylinder. So I have this kind of thing. And uh, by the way, do you have show notes and blog? I just do the podcast and then I have my Instagram to go along with that. Send you a few images so you can. Uh... Yeah, for sure. I'll, I'll I'll make a post with the podcast title on it. Um. Yeah. What else I have at home? I have um, I have a little waterfall feature. Uh, I used a piece of a cork bark, and then I have a little pump uh, hidden behind it and. It kind of pumps the water to the top, and then the water drips down the cork bark, and it's uh, fully covered with the epiphyte plants as well. So those are little, you know, like terrarium setups. Uh, 
basically, that is uh, what I have at home. Um, and in addition to that, I have a bunch of uh, customer aquariums I take care of. Um, so somehow they are my aquariums as well because I'm responsible for them. Um, yeah. So you were talking about that small aquarium that you said is the most watched video that you ever made. Is that the same one as that uh, that had the little goby in it? Yeah, that was so cute. I love that little fish. It's it's so sad he jumped out. Um, I don't know why, what caused him, because he he stayed inside for so long. He has never made any attempts of jumping out. He was always very calm. Even when I got with my hands inside, if you watch the videos, he was uh, even trying to fight with me. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it it was a great experience, and at uh, some point I will have gobbies again. They have very nice personality. Yeah, I had one in a saltwater tank of mine. It's they're such funny fish when they take like a a mouthful of the substrate and then they spit it out somewhere else. It's an entertaining fish to watch. But you were talking about a um a greenhouse earlier. What what do you keep in your greenhouse? Greenhouse myself. Um, um, it's uh, part of my job. <laughs> um, so, you know, if if somebody would ask me what I do, for, uh, what do I do for a living? Um, previously, I would have answered, I'm a self-employed um, aquascaper or aquarium designer. So and and a YouTuber. Uh, but these days, um, I just recently got employed by uh, Danella Aquarium Plants company and which not many people know but uh Danela plans is actually owned by the same um investor group as tropica and i've been in charge for the past three years for tropica plans uh social media presence and since both companies somehow belong together I've been now hired full-time to take care of uh, both companies, uh, social media and uh, web presence. And uh, yeah, that's what I'm working a lot on uh, lately. And uh, since Denali is in Germany and uh, not far away from where I live, um, I go there uh, three days a week. Um, so I stay in the office and I have the ability or the possibility to go into the greenhouse, which is right next to the office. Um, so that's why I've been in the greenhouse. But I still remain um, a freelancer. I still do my installations, my customers, and uh, my YouTube. So it's now not a full-time career, but a side hustle. Yeah, so are all the plants in the greenhouse just for aquariums? Some of the plants uh, can be used for ponds as well, especially floating plants. But... Um, other than them, I would say it's everything just for aquariums. Are these plants grown immersed or submerged? Because I know that's a big topic of people don't like to buy the immersed plants because they always melt in the tank. Well, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I think it's a big, big misconception or misunderstanding in the hobby. So all the plants in the nursery or most of the plants in the nursery are grown immersed. Uh, the reason for that is very simple. Uh, when the plants are growing in the immersed state, there is no algae, there is unlimited CO2, there is a lot of light, and um, they are 
very robust. They grow a lot faster and they can be shipped because they're very robust uh, with little to no damage of the plants. Uh, so you get best possible plant quality if you buy immersed plants. Yes, the plants have to transition once you add them to your aquarium. But the thing is, uh, they are, um, how do you call it? They're, most of the plants, they are swamp uh, plants. They can grow both immerse and submerse. Uh, so for them, it's normal to transition during the rain season and then again when the dry season is uh, in nature. Um, and they will adapt to your water parameters. Um, if the plants uh, are in the submerged state, you think they don't have to adapt anymore, but do you have the same water parameters than the place where you buy the plant from or the person you trade them with? No, you have possibly very different water parameters depending on how far away you live. So this means the plant has to adapt as well. From immerse to submerse, but from one type of water parameters to another, because based on water parameters, the plant is uh, adapting. It is producing different type of leaves that are better suitable to the water parameters. Um, so certain plants they will melt as well if you transition them from one tank to another. Crypts, uh, for example, um, they will melt. Um, so in my opinion, I don't know why in the US, and this is where I see this happening a lot, um, even shops, they try to convert the plants to submerge before they sell them. Uh, this is a huge waste of resources because you need time, you need water, electricity, you know, CO2, fertilizer, everything. And I, I haven't seen that many shops I, I i don't want to say i haven't seen any shops but i haven't seen that many shops that sell submerged plants in high uh quality most often yes they con convert but they look not as good as they look when i buy them immerse and when i put them in my aquarium most plants they start just growing immediately the only plant that is, you know, melting when you put it in your tank, uh, crypts are very likely to melt. I agree on that. And Echinodorus. Everything else, the Bucephalandra, the Anubias, the stems, all the carpeting plants, there is close to no transitioning sort of issues. They just start growing and the new growth is uh, submerged. Once you trim them back, uh, you know, you just have the submerged form and there are no problems at all. Um, I'm skipping so many aquariums uh, because I do it uh, for business and I use all the time, I use immersed plants and no problems, even with my customers and my own aquariums. Um, you know, I just didn't get the point. Um, it, it takes time, it takes resources and uh, the plants, they have to adapt anyway to different conditions and they are not as robust. So they get damaged very quick and easily in transport. That's that's really crazy. I never thought about it that way. That aquarium plants needed to adapt as well. Um, so, excuse me. A real top tip for people who want the best quality plants for their aquarium: go to a retailer, 
give them your plant list like I need these plants and tell the retailer to call you when he receives the plants from the nursery and go and pick up the plants the same day so you get the plants like same quality like they're coming from the nursery this is the best quality you can get to put them in your tank to start with yeah like this this applies for most plants there might be you know like a few exclusions to that but uh, from my experience from setting up hundreds of aquariums uh, for i don't know maintaining custom aquariums for many many years um, that's the experience i have also working with brands like tropica and danela uh, they yeah i mean they know what they do mm. since all plants need to adapt to the aquarium that you have personally what are some steps that you take to ensure that they grow healthy right from the start important to match the um the, the the original or the natural requirements of the plants so and for this we have to understand where most aquatic plants are coming from so most aquatic plants are coming from uh, tropical regions and this is where you have soft acidic water um and it's usually not too warm. So it's usually between 20, 25 degrees. So not a, a Celsius. Uh, by soft, I mean, um, okay, what, what do we say? Maybe uh, lower than or around GH5, which would be like 250 microsiemens, uh, around about the same amount TDS, I would say, 250, something like that. And um, by acidic, I would say the amount of CO2 dissolved in water, not the pH, because it's, uh, you know, it's relevant to the KH. Uh, but they need like this amount of CO2 in the water to grow properly. So you need 20 to 30 milligrams uh, per liter uh, CO2. And you can, you know, find out uh, when you compare the KH and the pH, just Google KH pH uh, scales or table on the internet, and then you see the connection between the two values, and then you can read your CO2 amount in the water very correctly. So to provide the plants the these uh, water parameters, soft and acidic, and by acidic I mean pressurized CO2 injection, and then um, good quality substrate. And for me, good quality substrate is that aquarium plant soil product. Uh, doesn't have to be a specific brand. I know, you know, different markets are different brands. I've used ADA Amazonia for many, many years. Uh, lately, I'm using almost exclusively the Tropica uh, soil. Uh, I know you have UNS or Colombo soil or Contra soil uh, in the US are quite popular as well. And I see people having great success with that. So that's perfectly fine to go with. Uh, but this type of substrate is a real game changer for the plants compared to, you know, like a little nutrient rich layer topped with the inert gravel. And something I wouldn't use is the the dirt from the garden top. I'm sorry. Oops. Uh, <laughs> uh, accidentally. Uh, um, <clears throat> um, I, I wouldn't use uh, the dirt from the garden. You know, you have this dirty tank method. Uh, I read a lot about it on the internet. Uh, seems to be quite popular in the States. Uh, I wouldn't do that. Um, it's basically, you have a nutrient-rich base layer 
topped with inert gravel. Uh, that works for heavy root feeding plants as long as you don't touch the substrate. If you mix up things, it's like a like a timed bump, you know. Uh, if those nutrients ever leach into water, you're going to have a disaster. So you, you you're not allowed to pull out plants or like move things around too much because then you get the nutrients in the water. And uh, if you have carpeting plants that have hard times reaching that very deep uh, layer, uh, they don't get to that uh, nutrients down there, and you don't have the active um, elements of the soil. Uh, the soil is uh, constantly exchanging, uh, how to say, nutrients with the water column. It releases nutrients and it also uptakes nutrients. So when there is too little in the water, it will give nutrients to the water. If there is too much in the water, it will take nutrients from the water and store them. You don't have this with gravel or dirt in your aquarium. And um, yeah, I think, you know, just learning to grow plants in the soil like this aquarium uh, plant soil product uh, will be a real game changer for everyone. As a beginner just starting out in aquascaping, what are uh, the key essentials that you need to get the success that you get? There is a three-step um, sort of process that I would recommend. Step number one is to learn to grow plants. Step number two is to master sort of the, the algae or to overcome the algae phase and to learn to, I don't know, read the plants and, you know, to, to get things in balance without even, you know, uh, worrying too much about the position of the rocks or whatsoever. Just learn how to grow plants, overcome the algae, and only then in step three, you know, start, you know, hardscaping and building your contest aquariums or whatsoever. So this is one thing that I would recommend. Um, the other thing is, I would say to pick a mentor, and by mentor, I mean not like a person that you're talking one-on-one, uh, but I mean, nowadays uh, you have so many YouTubers, maybe people that share their knowledge on uh, social media. Just pick someone uh, who you like, you know, you like the personality of the person. You like the um, you like the way this person is doing things. You like his style, you like his approach, and just stick to that. Um, I guess everyone has heard um, like having too many chefs in the kitchen is going to ruin uh, the dish. Um, yeah, but that that that's that thing, you know. I I see people listen to my advice and listen to someone else's advice and picking out things which they like the most and trying to combine that. That's not going to work. It could work if you're lucky, but, you know, everyone is having his system which works for him. I have my approach that works for me. Uh, someone else, let's take my friend and colleague, George Farmer. Uh, he has his own approach. If you follow his advice, like 100%, you will have success the same type of success result like he is having. If you follow my advice 100%, then you're going to have the results I'm having. If you try to combine what George is saying and what I'm saying, you know, chances are it's not going to work. So just pick one method and stick to that. Yeah, that's, that's going to lead to success. And it doesn't have to be my method. I'm not trying to sell it here. 
just anyone you like, uh, but stick to one person's advice and follow it, uh, you know, like, like a religion and then you will have success. Like those two. Mm -hmm. Uh, so what equipment would you say a beginner should start out with? What size tank? You think pressurized CO2? What kind of light you think they should use? Just yeah. things like that. So I see a very common beginner mistake. Um, they go for a large tank. They buy... So the, first they, they, they choose the tank. Uh, and the larger the better. Because they think of how it's going to fit in the room and shouldn't be too small, should be big. Then they go for the light and they spend most money on the light. You know, like the, they get the the biggest and strongest light they can afford. And then what's left in the budget is spent on everything else in the system. And in my opinion, this is the wrong approach. I would definitely say to start with a hobby. Smaller is better. It's cheaper. You can get good quality equipment with you know, not compromising on quality, not compromising on function, uh, not compromising on elements. You, you just get everything you need for a smaller tank. You get maybe even really high-level quality premium products at the same price where you would get like low-budget sort of, you know, compromised version on a big tank. And I think it is a lot more uh, fulfilling to have a small tank but the best possible version of it with uh, no technical limitations than a bigger tank, but with, I don't have this, I don't have this, this doesn't work, and this limitations, this limitations. So start with a small aquarium. I would say anything between 30 and 60 centimeters, I would say is very beginner friendly. Um, the tank, the size, like, I don't know, like whatever you like, it doesn't matter that much. Um, then most importantly for me is the CO2 system. Um, having a pressurized CO2 system is like building muscles on steroids. Uh, that's exactly the same. CO2 is the material uh, the plant cells are made from. If you're limiting the amount of CO2, it's like you're limiting uh, the nutrition uh, to a, you know, to a bodybuilder. If bodybuilder doesn't get his protein, he's not going to grow muscles. Or if an athlete doesn't get his protein and carbs, uh, he's not going to run, you know, the the mile in how many seconds or minutes, you know, uh, he's not going to do a world record. It's just not possible. So having CO2 is essential and it is an investment. Yes, I get it, but it is a lifetime investment. A good CO2 system is going to work for 10, 15, 20, maybe 30 years. Uh, all you do is just refill um, the bottle. You maybe swap out the rubber seal and that's it. Maybe you break the diffuser, but that's the small parts. The regulator, the solenoid, the bubble counter, those things are going to last a lifelong. So see it as a, you know, as a long-term investment. And after that, you can start, uh, I would say, with light. Light is important because, you know, you have to provide the plants the, the right um, spectrum, the right intensity so they can grow. Um, here, I would say um, a good 
budget solution could be something like the Twinster or One F brand. Uh, they have good solutions on the market for in you know in various price ranges. Uh, especially Twinster nowadays, uh, they have some very affordable uh, options. Um, and you can dim them. That's nice with a tiny little controller. Um, so then I would say it's the the substrate, the soil. Uh, I wouldn't save on that. I wouldn't put any lava rocks or something underneath to just use a smaller amount of soil. Um, it's I don't know, like you see a pie, but there is styrofoam inside, and you have just a little you know <laughs> uh, cream on the outside of the styrofoam. So that's you. It, it's it's fake, and the plants they grow through the soil layer, and if at the bottom is just crushed lava or something else. Um, the plant is disappointed and uh, is not getting the nutrients uh, it needs uh, for growing. And afterwards, it will be a lot of problem to rescape the tank with that crashed lava. I've been there. Uh, so just use soil all the way. Um, I would go for a canister filter that uh, gives you most flexibility. And uh, yeah, with canister filters, the bigger, the better. I would aim for a 10x uh, turnaround rate. Uh, with a big bioload capacity, and um, I believe in uh, biological filter medium. So I'm using biological filter medium uh, in all of my filters. And uh, yeah, I would say start with easy plants as well. Uh, don't go for the medium or advanced category plants. For example, at uh, Tropica and Danola, there are those uh, like a traffic light system. So go for the green label. Maybe the orange, but avoid the red label. And then they're good to go and start with some fast growing plants. Uh, they're going to make it very easy in the beginning to balance the aquarium. And afterwards you can swap out the easy and fast growing plants for some slower growing medium plants. What are your top, mm, what are your top three favorite plants all time? No, it doesn't matter what label they are, just general top three favorite plants i totally love ricotta cometrifolia it's the coral moss um just the texture of that moss those layered patterns looks like corals on the water but green and in a freshwater aquarium next uh i really love hygrophila pinatifida um, it's a stem plant from india but this plant stem plant is so diverse um, you can grow it as a stem plant but you can also grow it as an epiphyte. And if you trim it very frequently um, and keep it very short to the hardscape, if you put it on, on top of the hardscape, it will grow literally in a miniature size, like just a few centimeters in size, and it looks like a little fern. It can turn red under intense light. Uh, so yeah, Pinatifida is one of my all-time favorites. And recently, uh, all kind of Putsifalandras. Um, probably they are very trendy plants uh, in the recent years. Uh, so yeah, really love them. They're epiphytes. Uh, they have this very, so many variations of Putsifalandras with dots, with the uh, different color veins, I don't know. And the best thing about them, uh, they flower quite frequently underwater. That's really cool. Um, you were kind of all over with the different selection of plants. You have your stem plant, you have your epiphyte, and then the first one was a moss or a carpeting plant. 
Um, do you, which one is your favorite? Do you like the stem plants or epiphytes or just normal, uh, I don't know what the other kinds of plants are, but. Yeah. Well, you, you have the carpeting plants. They grow with runners in the pattern. I, I definitely love carpeting plants. They're very easy to keep. Um, and I also like um, epiphyte plants because you can attach them to things and you can be very creative with them. Those are my favorite types, I would say. The carpeting plants and then the epiphytes. What are some uh, what are some mistakes that you see beginners make when they first start out their aquarium? It can be like what type of plants they buy or just a really trendy thing that they don't know is going to lead them to failure, but it will end up just making them mad or creating algae or just not thing or things that you don't want in your tank. Yeah, so as mentioned previously, what I see very often is uh, beginners buy a big, strong light and spend 80% of their money on the light and then only 20% uh, on the plants. And the plants they choose, they are advanced category and they're slow growing plants. Uh, so this is the worst uh, scenario possible. You have a very strong light. You have very little plant mass. These plants grow slowly and they, you know, they need CO2, they need soft water, they need nutrients. They're difficult to grow. Uh, so you have very little bio load, like biomass is very little in this kind of aquariums. And then it's, you know, becoming an algae disaster very quickly. Uh, so I would do the opposite. I would spend 20% on the light and 80% on the plants. And I would use a lot of plants, easy category plants and fast growing plants. Uh, there is the rule that approximately 80% of the aquarium ground should be covered with plants and majority of them should be fast growing plants. This is going to guarantee or to ensure the best success for beginners. And what everyone can do to just get a little I don't know, like, let's call it an unfair advantage here uh, to use floating plants in the early phase or uh, helping plants. So if you don't want to use those easy plants because they just don't fit into the theme of your aquarium because you want to have a lot of sand and an island uh, layout with a lot of epiphytes, which are slow growing, just toss in a few pots of fast growing stems, something like uh, Lumnophila sessiliflora or Aquatica. Uh, they are very, very fast-growing stem plants. Um, um, floating uh, plants, something like uh, Philanthus fluitans or um, Brockbit, uh, stuff like that. They're going to uptake uh, the excess nutrients. They're going to block some light. They're going to filter the water. Um, and, you know, once the aquarium is stable uh, and, you know, is in the maturing phase, then you can remove those uh, fast growing plants or floating plants and, you know, uh, sort of uh, balance uh, everything. So you think that the more plants you have, the more the nutrients gets exported into the plants and then you just have a less chance to get algae? The ability to store nutrients. So. You know, you put in nutrients and very quickly you cannot measure the nutrients and you think like, where are the nutrients gone so quickly? 
this is because plants they uptake uh, the nutrients and they store them before somebody else like a different plant does because plants like corals they are constantly competing against each other so for example crypts and valisnerias they're going to make the soil the substrate more acidic and this way they can over time they can sort of outcompete other plants uh, other plants that are growing very quickly they will try to grow big to the surface and to overshadow those slow growing plants so plants have different strategies uh, they're constantly competing against each other you know there is no oh, friendly plants community in nature they're all competing for space and for resources uh, I mean, corals, they really fight against each other. Uh, since you mentioned previously, you have a coral tank, you know that for sure. Um, and you don't have plants fighting each other as aggressive as corals, uh, but you know they are competing, they uptake the nutrients. And what plants are also capable of, uh, not many people know that, plants can um, dissolve um, uh, some kind of, um, it's not nutrient, um, like some elements that are inhibiting algae. So, because plants, they don't like algae because algae is growing on plants and they try to, you know, uh, slow them down, their growth. Uh, so they don't want that. So if you have very healthy plants, they're going to uptake all the nutrients and they're going to release those uh, algae inhibiting uh, elements to the water and this way ensure uh, your aquarium remains algae free. So what about stocking wise? What type of fish would you put in your tank to for a beginner to like not have algae in their tank and just to ensure success? Definitely avoid large fish avoid dwelling fish um, and yeah fish eating plants avoid them as well <laughs> so basically I would say just go with the a small group of tetras uh, you can't go wrong with them and uh, less is more uh, less fish means you know uh, less uh, amount feeding the fish and um, just go with some small fish and you will be good. Just look at, you know, whatever you see on the internet and the scapes, what people are using, and just use only half of that. Most tanks I see, they're overstocked. What are your type, Your what are your favorite type of fish for an aquascape? Kind of tetras. And uh, when choosing the right fish for the uh, scape, uh, there is a lot about the style. For example, a landscape style Iwagumi, something that looks stretched, you have those horizontal lines, you want this to look like a landscape, uh, then you go for a fish with a long body, um, with maybe some sort of a stripe, uh, like horizontal uh, stripe pattern, maybe Rominos, uh, or uh, I don't know, like Cardinal Tetras, something like that. Uh, if you have a more narrow type aquarium, which is tall and you have uh, vertical elements like you have uh, branchwood or you have valisneria something like that you have a lot of vertical lines uh, then you should try to get a fish that fits uh, this vertical lines the best example would be here the angelfish they have this 
uh, vertical lines in their body, but the angelfish is a big fish. So I would only use angelfish in really large aquariums. Like for most aquascapes, uh, you can use again tetras that have a maybe not horizontal stripes. There are a few with vertical stripes, like the some barbs have, I think, vertical stripes. And there is the uh, there is a tetra as well. Uh, I don't remember the name of it, uh, but there are some tetras as well with vertical stripes. But even if they don't have vertical stripes, you have uh, some tetras that are they have a more compact body and they have like tall uh, fins. And this will fit again with the vertical shape of the layout, uh, something like that. I think if you go along these lines, then you will find the right fish. And here again, my, my favorite, or like, I have like a cheat sheet for that to choose the fish for my uh, escapes. Uh, okay, two cheat sheets. Uh, number one, ask the community. Uh, and number two is uh, I'm looking into good old Takashi Amano books and I just look what kind of fish is he using with the, which plants and I try to see the pattern there and just replicate it in my escapes to, and usually it works pretty well. Wow, that's a in-depth guide to picking your fish. That'll be really useful in the future for everyone. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. I think that's all we had time for today, but I definitely learned a lot, and I know that everybody who's going to listen to this is going to learn a lot more than they already knew. So thank you so much for coming on today. Welcome, Will. Thanks for having me. And, uh, yeah, just, you know, like final words of wisdom. Uh, I hope I've been able to encourage uh, the people to dive deeper into the planted aquarium hobby. Uh, don't get uh, discouraged if you have algae or something. Well, I too sometimes have. Uh, there will be always those, um, you know, sometimes you have to step back and then you can do two steps forward. Uh, you need a lot of patience in the hobby, but I think it's a very rewarding hobby, especially, you know, it, like the, what's it called? The aspects of the hobby, uh, they're very much underestimated. So, just spending time with the aquarium, watching the greens, uh, the patterns of the plants, of the moss, the small shrimps, snails, I don't know, in your aquarium, uh, it releases a lot of stress. You can really calm down and relax. Um, so, yeah, just uh, enjoy the hobby. And if you need... And if anyone, you know, has any questions, you can reach out to me, find me uh, under my name, Yuri Sityayevs, on uh, every social media platform. And I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll put some links in the description as well. I will definitely do that. And then you can send me those pictures for all the things you talked about, and I will post those all at once just to have people look at when they listen to the show. All right. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Okay,